Welcome to Driving Forces, a weekly show about politics and policy and a chance for you to tell us what's on your mind. And I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, topics on your mind today. I'm Jeff Simmons, and I'm joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz. Celeste, you spent the whole day here yesterday at BAI. I did. I think that was a, a BAI record for me, I believe, was on the air from 10 a.m. to 5.50 p.m. Well, what were you talking about? You. <laughs> it was a little a little uh, conversation that was going on in Washington involving a certain Michael Cohen. Uh, that was uh, that was the topic of the day. And in fact, it's going to be a topic with our first guest, uh, who uh, we're going to start talking with in a few moments. Uh, we're going to have uh, U.S. Congressman Greg Meeks, uh, who I have known as well as his daughters uh, for a number of years. He'll be calling in and uh, talking with us about what has gone on in Washington, D.C. And we'll also talk a little about uh, New York City politics as well. I do want to let our listeners know that we are in the Winter Fund Drive and uh, that uh, the number to call to uh, pledge to WBAI is 516-620-3602. And you also can go online and pledge to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. And if you do pledge during the show, please mention Driving Forces. Celeste and I love being here, love being on the air and talking with our listeners each Thursday at five o'clock. I also want to let you know, listeners, that in the second half hour of our show, we're going to take your calls. We want to know if you listened to on the radio on BAI yesterday. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or if you watched on C-SPAN or another outlet yesterday, you happened to watch the the Michael Cohen hearing, the number to call is 212-209-2877, and we'll start that in the second uh, half hour of our show. Celeste, some of your impressions about yesterday. Yeah, it was really, really incredible to to see what was going on just from the very beginning, from the opening statement from Michael Cohen coming out, and this is somebody who'd worked for the president for 10 years, is now on his way uh, in a matter of months to federal prison for a three-year term for a, a felony violation. Just lost his law license, coming out and calling the president of the United States a racist, a con man, and a cheat. And cheat. Those were the three things that I heard repeatedly on the radio overnight that just seemed to resonate. And there was uh, there there were some fireworks. There was some some flashpoints. I think was the word I was using yesterday. Uh, dispute about race that came up between uh, Mark Meadows, the Republican from North Carolina, and Rashida Tlaib, the uh, freshman Democrat from Michigan. Uh, real, uh, really intense exchange there. And I think a lot of people were impressed with how the chairman, who's uh, uh, Elijah Cummings, a Democrat of Maryland, uh, really, really diffused that situation. And from what I understand today, actually, Meadows and Tlaib hugged on the floor of the House, which is... Did not know that. Yeah, which is... Uh, and had a, a long conversation. I saw this being reported uh, out of Washington. And it's... Uh, that's sort of momentous in itself. But the entire hearing, uh, just really astonishing to see a lot of, you know, frankly, the partisanship, which is not unexpected. But seeing the Republicans really, really, really trying to tear down Michael Cohen in every way that they could... And the Democrats trying to get to uh, more information about what was going on in Trump world. So and uh, 
talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C., that'll bring us uh, to our first guest. Okay, perfect. So we're glad to welcome to Driving Forces Congressman Greg Meeks. He's now in his 11th term uh, representing uh, Queens. That's the uh, 5th Congressional District, am I correct? Um, He's a fervent supporter of the Affordable Care Act under President Obama. This is his 11th term. He's the chair of the Consumer Protection and Financial Institutions Subcommittee. He's a senior member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, sitting on both the Europe and Western Hemisphere uh, subcommittees as well. And he is uh, it's somebody that I know personally, and uh, Jeff knows as well. When I first started out at the Daily News, I covered Queens. I worked in the Queens Bureau, and, and Jeff, of course, is uh, representing Queens now. So, Congressman Meeks, it's a pleasure to, uh, to have you on the show and to hear your voice. I am delighted to be with you. So you know, it's uh, boring here in Washington. Nothing's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's been kind of slow on news lately, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, between between uh, the home uh, the home front and uh, foreign affairs. But uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to uh, jump right in and ask you. This is we were talking a moment ago about Michael Cohen, and uh, I don't think you're short on opinions about the Trump administration. So uh, what did you think? Well, you know what I think that uh, Michael Cohen. Uh, had nothing to gain uh, yesterday, and I think that uh, in looking at him, he you know, was really uh, down, uh, and and I believe remorseful uh, about the fact that he's worked for this individual, who you know when you think of his description of uh, Donald Trump, it's not dissimilar from the terms that were utilized by various popular Republicans, like uh, Senator Rubio and Senator Mitt Romney. If you go back to the campaign, that's what they said. They said he was a con man. They said that he couldn't be trusted. They said that he was a liar. That's what they said uh, at that time. So I don't know, you know, and I think that um, what it does is it makes so, um, you know, so uh, it wasn't surprising uh, what he said, uh, because that's who uh, Donald Trump has been. And, and anyone that has done business with them, et cetera, you know, they, I think, they know that it was the truth. And you put something on Twitter recently that I think really goes to the heart of of the conflict in that hearing yesterday at uh, at Rayburn. I'm just going to read this so the uh, the listeners can hear it, and then you can talk about it a little bit. I hope you you said on Twitter the dissonance of the Republican strategy. You can't expect you can't expect us to believe Cohen that Trump is a liar when he spent his life lying for Trump. Uh, you saw Republicans really trying to tear down Michael Cohen and, and paint him as unreliable. And I think Democrats were more trying to see what uh, additional information they could they could get out of him. So, you know, how did that strike you, watching the Republicans beating up the president's former lawyer? You know, to me, um, they are not following their oath of office. The oath of office uh, we are a separate branch of government, and it's to the United States of America, not to an individual president. Uh, and uh, it is clear that all they were trying to do was interrogate uh, Mr. Cohen without dealing with what the facts are there. You know, and so with, um, with him, uh, when, when I think about what was taking place there, it, it, what strikes me uh, in a very big way, you know, Democrats, and, and, I, and I saw someone else had tweeted this out 
uh, and I just thought it was so right. I want to talk to her. De- Democrats were concerned that the president may have committed treason or bank fraud or tax fraud or charity fraud or laundered money for Russia, Russian mobsters and committed campaign finance violations. And all of the Republicans basically were trying to ask Michael Cohen was whether or not he would get a book deal uh, <laughs> and other things that are, you know, not as pertinent uh, as the issues that have come up in regards to this president. Uh, and it is not only Michael Cohen. If you look at all of the individuals who have been either indicted and or pled guilty uh, that have been around this president and who have lied, uh, it just... You know, you could understand that it almost seems, you know, anybody, that was the conditions that you, you would have to follow if you were associated with Donald Trump prior to him being president and obviously since he's been president. So where does this all lead to, given everything that played out yesterday? Do, do you think this uh, it, it leads to new investigations? Do you think it helps the investigations? Or do you think that Michael Cohen's credibility uh, was tested once again and that he was not seen as a credible witness because, you know, he was contradicting what he said before? Well, I think that what uh, Chairman Cummings said at the end of the hearing is accurate. You know, Cummings said that he couldn't say whether people believed him or not, uh, but at least they've got the information. And I think that ultimately it's going to be left in the hands of, uh, well, we'll find out the, the, the report of the Mueller investigation and what's included therein. But, of course, uh, also... Uh, the Southern District of New York and New York's Attorney General who are looking into various issues. And I think ultimately that's where it's going to end up. They have all of the facts, and it seemed clear to me uh, from some of the testimony of Michael Cohen that he has had some real uh, intimate conversations with the Southern District uh, about issues and topics that we don't know because he said that he could not talk about them there. So uh, we will see uh, what takes place in the Southern District of New York. I think that's ultimately where it will end up. Uh, I was wondering, and if you're just joining us, by the way, this is WBAI 99.5 FM New York, and we're streaming live on WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons, and we are speaking to Congressman Gregory Meeks, Democrat of New York. Uh, Congressman, uh, was there anything that you wished they had been able to ask that didn't get asked, anything that maybe they didn't get to or something that you would have liked to see them go a little deeper, a little further on? Well, I think that, you know, uh, what the foundation uh, has been laid for, and I think that what, you know, the one piece of this puzzle that is not made public, uh, and I think that uh, whether it's the House Ways and Means Committee uh, whether it's going to be uh, within my committee of uh, financial services, is uh, Donald Trump's income taxes. Uh, and I think that uh, we need to, you know, there's going to be some further questions that, and I don't know whether uh, or not Mr. Cohen had some insight on the income taxes themselves, but what was interesting uh, that he did say uh, was that, you know, Mr. Trump often lied about, uh, his net worth, and, and, and so uh, whether or not there is, in fact, uh, tax fraud. Uh, so those income taxes uh, uh, needs further questions, and I might have questioned him further about his knowledge of what was filed therein, and, you know, if he knew uh, as, as, as his attorney. But um, I'm sure that uh, we'll be doing some uh, 
uh, oversight uh, in regards to that on the House uh, with various committees, and I'm uh, pretty sure also that the Southern District will, uh, will have subpoenaed them, and, uh, and that will be very uh, telling as to uh, what, what, what's in there. Well, as, as soon as you uh, as soon as you see the tax returns, I would certainly like to uh, get a copy if you don't mind. Just uh, <laughs> let let me know when I can come by and, and pick those up from your office, and I'll be uh, I'll be glad to stop in. So at the at the beginning of the show, Celeste was doing a recap on some of the takeaways. Uh, you know, everything that really has been highlighted in the news overnight, and you know, three of the key f- phrases that were used was that Trump was a racist, a con man, and a cheat. Do you believe that? I've been saying it all along. You know, what I've said all along is, and again, and it's not just Gregory Meeks, uh, all of the Republicans uh, in, the, in, the, in the, if you just go back, just run the video, video tape back, and you'll see that that's what uh, 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 Rubio has said, that he's a con man and he's a cheat. And he can't be trusted. Romney said it. Several other Republicans said it. Even Lindsey Graham said it. Uh, so you just go back to that tape, and then if you just listen to uh, Donald Trump first trying to deny that he didn't know who David Duke was uh, or anything of that in regards to the Klan and his obvious appeal to uh, the worst of society in that regard, if you look at his statement uh, in regards to Charlottesville, if you look at the fact that he used the Bertha uh, 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 situation trying to uh, go against uh, former President Barack Obama, if you look at his handling of the Central Park Five, if you look at his company's housing discrimination, uh, all of the, you know, I've said several times, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Absolutely. Uh, you know, very, very interesting to see Michael Cohen putting those uh, pu- putting those characterizations out, especially, and, and he, did, he did couch it uh, by saying, and I worked for him anyway. And uh, now you see even uh, the Republicans going after him and trying to suggest that he perjured himself in that in that committee hearing. Um, do you think they'll have any luck, kind of you know, pushing him pushing him out of the frame and uh, quieting him down before he goes to serve his federal prison term? Uh, you know, what's sad to me is that what's clear is that Donald Trump has been running his operation uh, mob-like. Uh, and all of the folks, and that's why he, he's, he, they even use mob terms, like calling him a rat, uh, you know, and, and, and someone uh, that, had, you know, trying to intimidate him as a, as a witness uh, and uh, doing all the kinds of things that a mob boss would do uh, to someone else who decided that uh, they were going to give information uh, because... Uh, they're tired of seeing or, you know, their conscience has finally got to them. So uh, I would hope, and, you know, it's shameful that even a member of Congress uh, did a tweet that was threatening uh, basically his family and had to bring it down. I know he's now under investigation by the the Florida Bar Association. But, you know, uh, the terminology, the style uh, in which uh, the, the... Trump and his operations, uh, it, it's mob-like, illegal uh, activity uh, taking place. Uh, so it is of, uh, it's very much of concern, and I'll be very interested in seeing uh, the results of, uh, of, of the Southern District. It's no wonder that uh, one of the first things that Donald Trump wanted to do was to make sure that 
uh, Pratt Bahar was not uh, reappointed as the uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District. And, and, and even if you look at the people that he's trying to put in place uh, in different uh, positions, all the way up to the Supreme Court, is clearly he's trying to get uh, individuals who would be, uh, you know, who, who won't look at a case on its merits, but someone who's just going to be his defender. So he, he, he hopes. That's why he was so upset with the uh, former Attorney General Sessions, who recused himself. Uh, and he thought that Sessions' job would have been in there just to, uh, to speak, you know, to, to, to defend him. And again, here's where I, how hypocritical that is of my colleagues who uh, was upset with Sessions and others who have recused themselves, uh, which was the right thing to do. When we go back and just think of for a two-minute conversation that Loretta Lynch had with Bill Clinton, you know, they demanded that uh, she recuse herself and not be involved in the case at all, and that's exactly what she did. Uh, but uh, we see a different scenario here. So there's double standards, and, and I don't understand uh, the inconsistency of my Republican colleagues. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here speaking to Congressman Gregory Meeks. And Congressman, uh, before we move on to some local issues, I know Jeff has some questions. Just have to ask you uh, uh, to weigh in a little bit on uh, what happened in Vietnam, or more to the point, what apparently did not happen in Vietnam between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Well, let me tell you, the, the, what I think is the most egregious thing that has happened and that continues to happen, when I saw and see uh, how the President of the United States has uh, elevated and uh, this guy who is a brutal dictator, who starves his people, who kill individuals to the point where he appears to be a rock star on the level of, in fact, he's inflated him higher than some of our uh, democratically elected allies, uh, calling, saying that we've, he's got this special relationship with him. And don't use that same, doesn't even come close to that with, you know, that generally has been reserved for allies like our friends in the U.K. and the E.U. Uh, that is shocking and unbelievable to me. So this guy, they've got the national cameras now, and he's on the same level as uh, all of the rest of our allies? Are you kidding me? Um, so from the very beginning, that is the wrong thing to do. Uh, and then when you think about this president uh, and the type of negotiations uh, that he is entering into or trying to enter into uh, with the North Koreans, uh, the same president who withdrew from the JCPOA where we worked with all of our allies, uh, and I can tell you it took a while to put it together. Uh, I, as a member of Congress, went over to Vienna and talked to a lot of other people to try to make sure that we had a verifiable and a reliable uh, 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 review uh, to make sure that Iran would not have a nuclear weapon. He pulls out of that and even having a conversation uh, with uh, this guy directly. And you didn't see President Obama, you know, uh, having a, those kind of direct talks with the individuals from, um, uh, from, from, from uh, Iran. So clearly, in my estimation, 
you know, North Korea has gained uh, much more out of this, and, and the United States has gotten nothing out of this. So, um, so uh, that, that's, my, that's my feeling on it. And, and so, and our standards are so low now mm. uh, because uh, this happened uh, in Singapore before. It happened when he met with, um, Mr. with, with uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, so it, it's so low that we're just glad that he got out of there without agreeing to another bad deal of which uh, they were proposing to happen. And, and I hope, you know, and I make the presumption that maybe this time he listened to Pompeo, maybe, because he doesn't listen to, he didn't listen to anyone else. And uh, because this guy, you know, you talk about the art of the deal. He has lost every, you know, negotiating strategy that he's, that he's made since he's president. And, look, I never believed in that deal, the art of the deal anyways. Because when you think about it, his art of the deal is getting to a deal and going bankrupt about seven times. <laughs> so, uh, Congressman, we've got about two minutes left, and so I want to get a few quick questions in here. Uh, last week, we asked our listeners what they felt about Bernie Sanders entering the presidential race, and our switchboard lit up. But I know you had some comments just assessing uh, what Bernie Sanders might need to do to kind of uh, uh, have uh, more appeal among Democrats. Can you just elaborate on that? Well, the appeal that I think what he needs to do to have more appeal among Democrats is first become a Democrat. I think that's what he could do. You know, uh, how do you want to lead a party but not be a part of the party? Uh, so I would, you know, uh, suggest strongly that uh, uh, he be a Democrat, and then we could have a good conversation. Uh, but he's not a Democrat. How do you want to lead Democrats and you're not a Democrat? You know, the one thing I can say, not that I'm supportive of him at all, but at least Michael Bloomberg uh, has re-registered to become a Democrat. And he contributed greatly to make sure that Democrats won the House back again. You know, when we were talking about winning the House back, Bernie Sanders was nowhere near there. He was not invested in the party. I want somebody to lead the party, to be a part of the party, to be invested in the party. So if he wants to get... Um, better situated with Democrats, first become a Democrat. Do you think Mike Bloomberg would be one of the strongest candidates to go up against Donald Trump? I'm not, I'm not even thinking of it. I haven't decided at all who I'm going to support, who's the strongest candidate. There's other people that's going to get in the race. So that's not even what my point is. My point is, you know, uh, I would wish that Senator Sanders becomes a Democrat. That's my point. Uh, finally, uh, I don't know if you recall, but I am a Queens resident, so I read all the Queens local papers, and what I've seen in a few of them is that your name has been floated as a potential successor uh, to uh, Joe Crowley as the Queens County leader. Is this something you'd like? Well, you know, we are a strong county, and we're going to remain a strong county. And, you know, we uh, uh, lost a good man in Joe Crowley. He led uh, the county organization uh, in an admirable way. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, my focus is, is to try to make sure that we work collective together, we stay strong, uh, and we, you know, look and work together uh, as we have in, in the past, and I want to uh, help in that, in, in that matter. So I take that as a not answering exactly the question. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> I take, you can take it as a Queens resident that you want 
stay strong as the borough of Queens in the great borough that we are. So in terms of staying strong, I want to end on one little anecdote I have from a very good source that's close to you, uh, just on a very lighter note, who told me today that, uh, you know, I said, give me something good and juicy about the congressman. And uh, uh, she said, well, he likes to take really long walks and exercise, but when he exercises, he takes his business cards with him. Is that true? That is absolutely true. <laughs> I, I, I try to walk in my district, uh, you know, most times five to ten miles. Uh, and as I see individuals that may be out, you know, cleaning their lawns or doing work uh, in and about their homes, uh, I give them my card. I talk to them about local issues and what's going on and what's, a, what's important to them. Uh, and... Uh, I, I change my roots so that I can try to make sure I'm covering different parts of the uh, of the community uh, while while I'm walking. And it, you know, and at times uh, it is, um, you know, I give the card after I have the conversation. So you know, if someone hasn't recognized me already, and and and, and you know what I find too while walking, mm-hmm. man, I, ha- I represent a great community. It is v- beautiful. I encourage folks if you want to come to a, 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 a community where people are together, that's beautiful. you got some nice uh, uh, homes and or apartments, and, you know, that's reflective of America. You'll find people from all over the world living in the 5th Congressional District, uh, great restaurants. Just come on over. We would love to have you. So uh, on that note, actually, Congressman, where can people find out more about the 5th District and about your office specifically? Well, you can get me on my website. Uh, all of our information is there. You can uh, you know, follow my tweets at Rep. Gregory Meeks. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, and you can, look, call my office, 718-725-6000. Uh, we're there to serve the people of uh, our great district and city and state. So, I look forward to hearing from folks. Congressman Gregory Meeks, uh, the 5th District of New York. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Driving Forces. Thank you. It was a pleasure being with you. So we're talking about national politics. We're now going to go to uh, city politics. Uh, we're going to jump right to our next guest, who's been very patient, waiting on hold for us. Uh, someone who I have known for years, Suri Kassir, president of Kassir uh, Consulting and Lobbying Firm. It was founded 22 years ago. Kassir is the number one lobbying firm in New York City, and she leads a team that's very well versed in the inner workings of New York City. As the New York Post said last year, New York City has a lobbying queen, and she's someone who's very close with Mayor de Blasio. She's known him for three decades and raised a significant amounts of money and awareness for campaigns. Uh, Suri, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. So we've got very tough questions for you today, but of course the first one is going to be, we want to talk about the public advocates race because uh, I believe uh, we had hours of coverage the other night, live coverage yes, on the advocates we, race. we did, live coverage from 9 to 11. What do you think factored into the results of the public advocates race uh, in uh, Jumani being elected? Well, first of all, I mean, it was a 17-person race, as all of your viewers know, because I'm sure they were all listening to your coverage of the race. Um, I think the most important thing is that Jumani had a lot of name recognition, having just come off uh, the lieutenant governor's race, which was a statewide race. 
he got basically the same amount of votes just in New York City as he had gotten in the previous statewide election, which was about 120,000 votes. So he was more than double the number two uh, uh, person who came in second in the 17-person race. So I think name recognition was super important. Did you think that uh, uh, newspaper endorsements uh, mattered at all in this contest, or do they not really? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think the New York Times endorsement was very significant. Um, Again, the number two person, Eric Ulrich, had gotten the Post and had gotten the Daily News. Uh, But I think, you know, for for many people who don't really follow these kinds of down-ballot races, especially in a special election, uh, prime gem voters uh, will look to the New York Times, and I think that was incredibly significant. And, I, you know, I have to agree with you there because in recent weeks I've had a number of people who've approached me on a daily basis that I've worked with saying, uh, you know, I'm hearing that there's, there's this race. Who are you voting for? Why are you voting for them? They did not know much about this. But the name that kept coming up was Jumani, that they had heard of him and they had known from last year's uh, race uh, that he uh, had a very good showing. So um, were there specific issues, Surrey, that you felt motivated voters? I mean, we had a very small turnout. I think it was only about 9% of the active registered voters that uh, that showed up. But were there specific issues that you think drove people? Or was it really the name, you know, the individual candidates that they uh, happened to uh, have been supporting already? Well, first, let me let me speak about low voter turnout. And I think, you know, about 400,000 people voted, which, as you correctly said, is about 9%. One of the things that was uh, especially troubling is that it was especially low amongst young voters. Those under 35 years old uh, really did not come out at all to vote. So it, it was pretty weak, but particularly amongst young people. I think people felt that Jamani was someone who would fight for the people. I think that there is some anxiousness about talk uh, about tough times ahead. And there's persistent concern about how New Yorkers who are not uh, wealthy, who are struggling, who are uh, fighting, uh, you know, to just get out of poverty or just above poverty. um, Those folks, I think, really felt that someone like Jamani would fight for them. And I think that people perceive the public advocate as someone who fights for the people. And so I think that matched, that sort of description matched his history and who he was and the kinds of things that he had fought for, particularly around the police issue, which is something that has been a a, a huge issue for him. And he's really taken leadership in, in that issue, along with other equity issues, expanding access for people who are shut out, affordable housing, those kinds of issues. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live on WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces. We're speaking with uh, lobbyist and consultant Suri Kassira. And uh, Suri, I'm interested to know, based on, even though it was, as you say, a, an extremely small turnout, and it is it is a concern that uh, young people did not vote at, at really high rates, um, it was also a nonpartisan election in the sense that people had, uh, you know, uh, made up their own ballot line names. It was the, the demarcations were not Democratic and Republican. So um, with the exception, obviously, in recent memory of, say, Michael Bloomberg, Rudy Giuliani, um, those were 
potentially special cases of Republicans uh, getting elected to high office. Uh, Eric Ulrich, a Republican city councilman, came in second. It was not a close second, but he did come in second, even beating out the former city council speaker, Melissa Mark Viveruto. So that was a basically long wind up to ask you, what do you think about the idea or the relevance of seeing a future of in New York City with nonpartisan elections? Well, I think you're still right um, uh, about Eric Ulrich. I think that there were a lot of uh, a lot of folks out there that were very upset about Amazon. And, you know, there was not a tremendous amount to distinguish the 17 people for those people that actually tuned in and listened to the debates. But I think Eric Ulrich, Ulrich did distinguish himself in his support of Amazon. And it was very interesting that while he didn't, he got about half of the votes of Jamani, as you pointed out, he did come in second, but most importantly, he won two out of the five boroughs. So he won Staten Island, yeah. uh, which is traditional Republican territory, but he won Queens, which was very interesting in light of the Amazon uh, issue. Uh, and I think there were many Democrats that might not vote, have voted for him if he was on a Republican line, but felt that since it was a nonpartisan election, they could vote for a Republican. Uh, and many people may not have even known that he was a Republican, uh, but they knew he supported Amazon. And that was important uh, to many people to make a statement post Amazon. So I think the timing of the whole Amazon thing really worked in Ulrich's favor. And I think he's somebody that, in terms of the Republican candidates, has distinguished himself in the same way that Jamani distinguished himself uh, in, the, in his previous race. I think this speaks to Ulrich's chances to seek higher office in the future. I also think that he handled himself incredibly well. He was the first person to call Jamani and congratulate him, and his comments were really wonderful uh, at, his, uh, at his speech, at his, um, uh, at his headquarters on election night. And he was out there saying, I am going to support Jamani. I have a great relationship with him. I'm going to work with him. What I care about is New York, and I think Jamani will be good for New York. So I thought he he was very, very positive and handled himself very well. And it's been interesting to see the uh, the statements from a number of the competitors over the last, uh, what, 24 hours. I think Melissa Mark Viverito came out with a statement of support as well uh, right now, because one of the questions, you know, I immediately had is, will anyone challenge him or will we see more Democratic Party unity now over the next few months to make this an easy race for the Democrats so they're not going to have any internal squabbling where it'll just be competing against uh, possibly a Republican candidate or an independent candidate? But it seems like Eric also extended the olive branch. I'm really curious, Suri, what other races do you see shaping up that are the ones to watch as we move ahead? Because, you know, the second that one election ends, we all start focusing on the next one. Well, look, um, 2021 is going to be hugely important for us in New York. We have 36 counts of 51 council members term limited. We have five borough presidents that are all term limited out. We'll have a new controller. We'll have a new speaker and a new mayor. And it's very troubling, I think, to think about Jamani having to run again in June, again in November, and then again in 2021. Uh, and so I think that it'll be very interesting to really watch 45 people who are term limited out all running for eight seats, or many of them running for eight seats, in addition to new people who have never run. So there's going to be a lot happening and lots to watch. One of the things I was thinking about is Melissa Mark Viverito joins a line of speakers 
uh, Peter Valone, Chris Quinn, Gifford Miller, uh, all of whom tried to use the uh, base of speaker to run for higher office and have not been successful. And while we have had controllers that went on to higher office, we have Abeem, Hevesy went on to be state controller, even though he lost mayor's race. We have two public advocates that went on to become attorney general and one mayor. Uh, we've never had a speaker that's gone on to higher office. So it'll be interesting to see uh, whether Corey Johnson could be uh, the first speaker to actually get elected to uh, a, a higher or another office. And you knew that was um, my... so that'll be very interesting. That was going to be my next question. You predicted that, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it is about the speakership that uh, has made it... Is it just not uh, a high-profile position? People don't recognize it or just... Uh, Bad luck? What's, what's up with that? Well, Celeste, it's a really, really, I think, interesting question. And I think, you know, given that you have, you know, in a legislative body, you're balancing so many interests because you have 50 other members that you've got to answer to and, uh, and, and kind of herd into a body that takes leadership on so many important issues. And it's been tough. It's just even though we've had lots of really popular uh, speakers, um, they have not been able to figure out how to uh, mobilize that office and those um, members uh, to, to, to get to higher office. So it, it, it's really fascinating. I mean, I think Corey is probably the first uh, one that might actually be able to do it, uh, probably with a lot of hard work. Uh, ahead of him. So it'll be interesting to watch. So as he's envisioning moving up to mayoralty, we also uh, don't know yet what is going to happen with Mayor de Blasio if he is going to uh, launch a presidential campaign, although I had read something in the New York Post about the First Lady indicating that uh, he, from an earlier interview, uh, that he might not be pursuing that. But what do you think, uh, you know, read the tea leaves as far as uh, Mayor de Blasio's presidential ambitions? Well, as you said, I know the mayor for a very long time, and I, I've always felt um, that his interests were always national. Uh, you know, he ran uh, Senator Edwards' presidential campaign. Uh, you know, he worked for Hillary. Uh, he worked for Bill Clinton. Uh, he worked uh, at HUD for Andrew Cuomo. Uh, I think that, you know, his interest has always, and his passion has always been national politics. So, you know, I, I see him pursuing some, some role uh, on the national stage. What that is and where it's going to go and, you know, what, what, it'll, what office he'll actually go for or if he will go for uh, the president as opposed to sort of maybe some kind of national organization or national progressive, the creation of some national progressive movement, I guess, remains to be seen. But I do think that he is, going to pursue something nationally. And how do you think his, uh, his profile, his track record to date uh, speaks for him in terms of looking uh, higher on the, on the political food chain? I was talking about this with somebody uh, yesterday, and you know, he mentioned, look, uh, crime is down in New York City. Uh, things are going uh, relatively well. There have been some advances in criminal justice and so on. And you look at the flip side, of course, you have the whole situation with NYCHA, with the you know, federal intervention in our, our public housing authority. Uh, so I'm just curious, where do you think, uh, how does he look to the rest of the country? Look, I think the question is, you know, what, what, look, Bernie Sanders did incredibly well 
and ignited a tremendous amount of passion nationally uh, as a progressive. And I think, um, you know, the, there is a real uh, movement in the Democratic Party uh, towards progressive ideals and progressive ideology. And to the extent that he can ignite that group of people, um, you know, I think that there is, a, there, there is an opportunity for him. Who else is going to be out there trying to uh, excite those same people? That's a question. You know, is Bernie Sanders going to run? Is Elizabeth Warren going to run? Are these folks going to be out there doing something similar to what he's trying to do? So, you know, but I think there is a real movement of people that care about these equity issues and some of the progressive ideas and ideals and ideology that the mayor stands for. And, uh, sir, if people want to find out more about you and your, uh, your work in, in government and policy, where should they look for you? Uh, so we have a website. It's www.casira.nyc. Um, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. And I'm so appreciative uh, to have the opportunity to talk to both of you. Uh, who are some of my favorite people in this business. Thank you. And we got to get you on Twitter. I was looking for your Twitter handle, so we got to get you on there. Okay, I'm on Instagram, but not Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. So we've talked national, we've talked little city, we've talked uh, local. We're going to now take your calls. The number is 212-209-2877. Celeste and I want to know what you're thinking about as far as the Michael Cohen testimony yesterday, the public advocates race, whether Mayor de Blasio should run for president, what you think about Corey Johnson's uh, vision for running for mayor, because that was something we just talked with Surrey about. Give us a call at 212-209-2877. 2877 and let us know what's on your mind. Yeah, that was, uh, look, we had a lot of interesting discussions just now. Uh, uh, Congressman Meeks, uh, Greg Meeks of Queens, uh, not mincing too many words when it came to, certainly when it came to uh, the president's trip to Vietnam and his, uh, his uh, early exit, shall we say, his uh, early departure for, with no deal um, and his ideas about what, what uh, the president constitute thinks constitutes the art of the deal or not um and obviously talking about michael cohen there uh, but the local stuff is interesting too i mean look it's uh, it's a curiosity as to whether um bill de blasio will want to go for it or you know if not now maybe next round i guess it mm-hmm. kind of depends on on how the uh, the field keeps shaking out and, and i always wonder you know, given what other seats that we don't know about mm. that are going to open up yeah. that people could pursue. That, for example, if one of our local, con- you know, con- uh, Senate uh, House representatives gets elected president, then that seat opens up. You think of what was going on a few years ago. Was that uh, was it Danny O'Donnell who ran for public advocate that had been uh, one of the people whose names were floated to run for the seat vacated by Hillary Clinton? You know, you all these chess pieces move around, and it's fascinating to watch this. Oh yeah, there's definitely. Uh, there, there's definitely a, a domino effect. I mean, one person is thinking about, you know, retirements. Dominoes, uh, chess. Oh my <laughs> so I believe we have uh, some calls on the line. Oh, we do. Okay, great. Let's uh, let's go to the calls then. Uh, WBAI, you're on the air. Uh, what's your name and where you're calling from? Uh, my name's Eric. I'm calling from Williamsburg. Hi, Eric. What's on your mind today? Okay, I want to mention something that's I noticed, and I thought some of the Republicans, 
I'm a leftist. I've been a socialist. Uh, I organized my first union in 1960. Uh, Raised some good questions. And one of the ones that I was really concerned about uh, is a person being questioned said over a hundred times, he recorded confidential conversations with clients and said it wasn't illegal. It's not illegal in New York, but it's certainly a breach of any kind of legal ethics to do that without telling the person are. And it's also a breach of confidentiality. There are lawyers who have gone to jail for protecting that. Well, I, think, I, was uh, very, I think Mr. Cohen has been relieved of his law license as of this week. I know so. he has. But the fact that he still was arguing he did nothing wrong means when you have a den of thieves, and that's what I look at uh, the Republican Party as, they, there's no correcting. And the one person that raised those questions was from either South or North Dakota. I think he did it sincerely. And I think we can't write off there are decent Republicans. You know, it's interesting uh, because when you're saying this, I'm thinking about what Greg Meeks, uh, the congressman, just talked with us about. Uh, you know, one of his uh, tweets had been about, you know, you can't expect us to believe Cohen that Trump is a liar when he spent his life lying for Trump. So his credibility really was something that was weighed heavily yesterday, whether he was telling the truth now, given you know uh, his actions in the past. Your thoughts on that? My, my real feelings on that was he may... John Jeffy, there was one person had been a sheriff in one of the southern states, and he said he sounds like lots of convicts who sincerely feel guilty when they're facing jail. But when they get out, they go right back to what they were like in the past. Well, there's, there's always, that's always the question, right? Are you uh, sorry that you committed a crime, or are you sorry you got caught? I think it was, was more of the latter with him. But I'm afraid in both with the Democrats and the Republicans, in order to win, they're losing integrity. And I think we need politicians with integrity. If I hadn't named someone as an example, I'd name Shirley Chisholm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From Brooklyn. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a former presidential candidate, one-time presidential candidate, uh, trail, right. trailblazer uh, for, for women and uh, for minorities in, uh, in our government. And, yeah, and for labor unions. You know, her father was the chairman of, uh, of, a, of a shop that was primarily white and Jewish. And he told her the one only reason you could ever come home late from school if you see a picket line and join it. Uh, what was it? Uh, um, uh, uh, was it a garment? Garment workers? No, it was a bakery. Oh, bakery. Oh, okay. Um, and, and it was really interesting. But when I gave testimony at city council mm-hmm. about the cab, because I I drove a cab at the time about the cab industry, and I said that uh, the modern equivalent of forty acres in a mule was a uh, a medallion and a checker. <laughs> so, she supported quite... that. I got a nice note from her in the mail. Really? Well, that's a, that, that's quite a story, Eric. Um, we're gonna we're gonna jump on another call, but thank you very much for uh, for calling in. We really appreciate it. I think we have somebody else on the line, James. Okay, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Brooklyn. From Brooklyn. 
Jeff from Brooklyn. Oh, Jeff from Brooklyn. Hi, yeah. welcome. Uh, welcome to WBAI. What's on your mind? Okay. All right. Uh, I don't think Mayor de Blasio would be would make a good presidential candidate. And I don't think why they're conditioned to think he is just because he's a Democrat. He hasn't done a good job with managing New York, for instance, not just the housing projects. Do you but think... Most, you know, the city just oh. just seems mismanaged. He's, he's fiscally irresponsible and unorganized. And people just like singing his praise. I don't understand it. Why? Do you think... And why that, do we have to be so beholden to Democrats or Republicans? And when you say uh, we, you mean New Yorkers or people who live in the city well, in general? Well, let me ask you this. Just for the housing projects, right? Mm-hmm. He can't even manage that. That's the easiest thing. You could take a small landlord, right? The same ones who he imposes all these uh, restrictions on, and he's so quick to, um, to find landlords... Say, for instance, stuff that tenants do. But yet he can't manage the projects. But yet he's tough on small landlords. And the projects are a complete mess. Look at the budget they have, and it's still a complete wreck. And he can't figure out why. I wouldn't have to spend a night in the projects to tell you what the problems are in there, for instance. And why would you give a guy like that a position to manage a country? And certainly, certainly there's been a, a, a lot of reporting. Um, and I want to say, you know, frankly, like very notably uh, by uh, Greg Smith, who is a colleague of mine at the Daily News, who has written uh, extensively, extensively about the failures at NYCHA for years. So I think, as you say, look, well, this the is failures, not... the, the failures at NYCHA are the failures of uh, people who think that money comes from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't. First of all, they don't hold the tenants in there accountable. The tenants order gets accountable. The staff is undertrained. They're not trained to manage. The biggest problem with the projects, for instance, mm-hmm. and I could save them millions of dollars right now. It's the people that work there are not qualified to work there. They can't change locks. They can't change sheet locks. They can't do electrical wiring. Most of them are only qualified to do cleanup work, sweeping mm-hmm. the grounds, and that's it. You don't need to spend a night in there. And I can't believe that these politicians that we're paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, we vote for them, and they, we think they're so clever. So, uh, one, That's one... the reason why the projects are failing. Number one, because the tenants are not paying enough to right. maintain it. It takes money to, to maintain well, buildings. I suppose that's a lot a, of I mean, this the is... money just comes from osmosis. Why would you vote for an adult like it that? It is subsidized that housing. Like that? But, huh? uh, yeah, no, it certainly it is. And we'd like to thank you for your call. Um, you know, it, it is subsidized housing. Now, obviously, the fact that the federal government has had to literally stage an intervention here is extremely disturbing. Now, how much of that can you blame on uh, deferred maintenance and mismanagement over many, many years? How much of it can you blame on the current administration? That's certainly uh, that's certainly a topic for discussion, but um, uh, either way, it is. And I, I do think there is blame to be placed on the current administration, by the way. I don't think this is something that, that happened, uh, you know, only happened uh, 20 years ago or whatever. I think it's been cumulative, but I think there's a lot that we probably could have done here in the city to to address things like uh, lead poisoning and uh, people living in just horrendous conditions with uh, buildings that are, are infested with, with bugs and, and rodents and rats and um, people having broken elevators and, and poor security. That's just, that that is a shame to this city. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned Greg Smith because, you know, he really 
uh, had such amazing coverage at the Daily News. And yes. I look forward to his oh, yes. continued coverage with the new outlet, the city that should be launching officially in a few weeks, if yes, I'm correct. Very soon. So. Did you, you put in your uh, – and the city, by the way, if you, <laughs> if you guys listening out there have not heard about it, you can check it out. It's uh, forthcoming. It's a new local news platform that is uh, going to be run by Jerry Hester. He was an editor of mine, actually, at the uh, Daily News, uh, worked for uh, in local news for years and years, has taught it. Um, the CUNY uh, Journalism School, and they've recruited some really cool people to uh, to work there. So definitely check it out. Uh, the city it's going to be called, and uh, they have a newsletter you can sign up for right now. Jerry, I hope you're listening to this plug because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they did promise to do the reporters I've spoken to there have promised to do some good local investigative journalism because right. they feel like they're uh, they're meeting a, a, a need. They're feeling a need. So we have had a number of calls. We've got another person on the line. Uh, welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces with. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. What's on your mind? Yeah, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, you get your, uh, well, what's your yeah, na- what's I, your name I, I, and where are you from? Jim from Queens. Hi, Jim. I, I just like to say I'm, I'm first time listening to your program. I find it I'm a long time BAI listener, as old as it is I am. However, I will say that uh, your efforts with this drive time with the program announcement sounds very fascinating. I just it doesn't appeal to me that much because it seems like you guys are very traditional uh, reporters <laughs> from when you talk about Daily News and the Post. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really surprised to have uh, some of stalwarts like you guys on talking from your particular journalistic uh, bedrooms or background. Um, but that being said, it's not a, that's not a negative. I'm just noting your style. Uh, that being said, um, I, going back to the housing issue that you were talking about just a moment ago, um, you know, these neoliberal policies that um, both from Obama to, to the you know, uh, current mayor have been practicing was essentially at the federal level abandonment of housing. And, and I think that the mayor and his efforts on the Shona, and I didn't, I didn't work under that administration, but I will say it was a very yeoman effort to correct those problems. It's not that the mayor has from all across nationally this state of complete of let's give it to the private sector and they know what's best is what the problem started. This was decided under Obama when they brought in let's bring in Citibank to fund and on the right the capital expenditures to put money in. It is not Obama's policy fault. It was the fact that no more money, new money was going into the national budget for HUD. Mm-hmm. And old money wasn't spent wisely. That's true. But those issues are is a question of a housing policy at the federal level. And essentially, with the Republicans attempting to drown everything, every bureaucracy in a, bath, in a bathtub, we saw no new funding come in. And then we had to look at monitoring matters. I think from my perspective, and I'm old housing hat, uh, the, 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 the prior uh, executive appointed by the mayor, was doing a yeoman's job. Yes, there were things that got hidden, but that I've seen across nationally, and I follow housing, okay? Yeah. And uh, it's not to say it doesn't impact disparately the, the tenants and their concerns, which are legitimate, because people who ought to be served. But um, we have a disaster on so many levels, and we have a disaster that's created not only by the Republicans' agenda to strength government, but the Democrats' uh, weak response by only proposing neoliberal economic agendas, which said, give it to the private sector, they know best. Well, Those days are numbered. 
we are uh, we are coming up against the clock. Jim, is that right, Jim from sure. Queens? So, uh, first of all, no, and I think you sound like you have really thought about this. I'd be interested to hear uh, more actually about what you think are the solutions. I, I agree with you that this is not necessarily the the fault of one person. That you know there is an issue of funding and then using those funds wisely. But I do want to take a moment, literally one moment, to thank you for calling into the program. I know you said this is a different format. We're trying uh, some new things here at WBAI. We do have. Uh, Jeff and I do tend to be a little bit more um, uh, leading towards the the reporting side, and we let our but we do try to have guests on that have uh, strong opinions, and uh, we try to get a variety of guests on. And you know what? I don't think you called in the show to tell me you don't like it. So I do appreciate. I, hey, come on, man. You know what? I do appreciate. No, I, didn't. It. I, I thank you. I thank you sincerely, and I hope you like listen to us next week, Thursdays at five, and you know maybe you like it more and more every week. All right. Thanks. Thanks very much. So, uh, so we are coming to a close. We want to thank our guests, Congressman Greg Meeks and Suri Kassir of Kassir. Of Kassir. Uh, we also want to thank our engineer, James, uh, for handling the switchboard, which was lighting up again. And, of course, our listeners, uh, like Jim from Queens, we could not do this without your support. Um, next week, I will be off, but Celeste will be here with a very special guest. Yes, we will be doing some special programming. Uh, March will be Women's History Month. And, actually, I hope you'll join me Saturday at 11. We will have some special live coverage of the Bernie, San, uh, Bernie Sanders rally uh, right here on WBAI. Uh, I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons. Look for us on uh, SoundCloud, on iTunes, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, look for us again here next week, uh, Thursdays at 5. Pleasure to have you, uh, have you join us. Coming up next on WBAI, the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo. Stay with us for that, at least. happened to the little brown bats, to the spotted tree frog, what will happen to Homo sapiens? Join us for the very first reading of a powerful solo performance that grapples with being a human in a time of mass extinction. Live at the Commons Cafe, 388 Atlantic Ave in Brooklyn on Monday, March 4th. Doors at 6.30 p.m., performance at 7.30. For tickets, go to onguardarts.org or WBAI. We hope you'll join us.
We're heading up towards 6 o'clock on WBAI. Coming up, as I mentioned, Paul DiRienzo and the WBAI News. After that, Gary Null goes green. But for now, here's Paul. In a moment, after a musical introduction. Good evening. Trump and Kim Jong-un have a messy public breakup in their diplomatic love affair. Cuba votes in a, in a new 